On today's episode of the Nifty Nick Show, I'm thrilled to have on Matty DCL, a legend in the NFT space. From flipping land and Decentraland to calling the boom in NFTs early, Matty has his finger on the pulse of the metaverse and is continuing to invest heavily through his MetaKey project and upcoming investments and partnerships. The show's all about learning from those with skin in the game in the world of NFTs, and as usual, today's guest is no exception, so let's get started. If you're looking for some crypto, you just found the right spot. We wrap it up, one of a kind, NFT straight to the top. Now don't go trading based on comments, we provide in this show. It's not investment advice, but our picks do tend to blow up. Like a rocket, they say. Many people have compared it to people's every day. So if you're trying to figure out what's going on in this space, please do not worry. Your boy Nifty Nick is hot on the case. All right, and we're back uh, today with Maddie from DCL Blogger. Thanks for coming on the show, man. No worries, Nick. Pleasure to be here. So I thought it would be useful. We can kick things off with how you got into this space. You know, I saw your publishing, the stuff that you had done on YouTube your uh, blog or publication, whatever you want to call it. And I'd come across you before I even started uh, my own content. But I'm wondering, you know, did you immediately jump into creating content or had you been around the crypto space for a while uh, leading up to that? So I got involved in the crypto space in 2017. And I've, uh, you know, I got involved in just investing in cryptocurrencies, just like everyone else did, right? Just bought some Ethereum and all these random coins. I had no idea what they were. And then I think 2018, so after a good six to seven months in crypto, I learned about the fact that you can buy land on a blockchain somehow, virtual land. And I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. So I bought some land, ended up selling it pretty much the next day or the week after. And it was this realization, this whole NFT thing is like this digital marketplace. And at that time, it was just Decentraland. That was in my little bubble. That was the thing. <laughs> and so I think, you know, it was kind of just a slow journey into that. But before all that, I've, I used to have a marketing blog and used to make YouTube content in terms of marketing. I used to be an affiliate marketer for six to seven years, selling um, all sorts of products, uh, e-commerce stuff on Facebook. And, and I was all into that paid marketing and, and, you know, social media and all that stuff. So I pretty much just transitioned that whole skill set to this space when um, I was like, well, this virtual land thing is going to be probably pretty big. Um, this NFT thing is going to be pretty big. Back then, I didn't know how big NFTs would be in terms of the broad range of stuff it would cover. For me, it was just Decentraland. So that's why DCL Blogger came to be. And yeah, Blog totally made sense. Yeah, you know, 2017 was an interesting time. I was more focused and distracted by the ICO space because there was a Mm. lot of fast money for questionable startups. I had been covering the uh, startup area since 20, uh, man, actually probably 2007. Uh, and, and and beyond and the Facebook space uh, since uh, 2007 through 2011 uh, full time. So I was covering all that stuff, but I had not, um, when the 2017 wave came through, NFTs were not the hook that I, I followed. So it's interesting that you caught on to that. Was Decent- so Decentraland has been around since 2017? Yeah, the ICO in 20- mid-2017, I think August which I actually didn't get involved in. I didn't get involved in anything NFT related until 2018. So when the kind of wave was coming down and I think CryptoKitties went a bit viral in late 2017 as well. So it was like that December, January period where NFT started to pop up on people's radar. Yeah, I I recall trying to buy CryptoKitties. I think the gas was really high or the network was clogged and I was just like, oh, this is not ready for mainstream. 
and just wrote it off. <laughs> then, then, it's still uh, the same. <laughs> <laughs> to a certain degree, you are, you are correct. Um, it really is actually the same network and using MetaMask to buy stuff on a lot of these different sites. There's a few more marketplaces. Uh, there's a lot more people who are interested. There's a lot more collections. It's definitely taken off. Mm. Let, let's uh, go back to that time, though. So you jumped into Decentraland. You said you bought some land. You sold some land. Where was the aha moment that made you think like, hey, I'm, I'm going to start covering this or like doing this even more? Were you just like, you know, bullish on crypto from the from the start and saying, you know what? I'm just buying into this. I'm a long-term uh, thinker, player. Or was there something else there that, that got you hooked? Are you talking about the investment part or the creating content part? Well, let's start with uh, the investment because it sounds like you bought some, you sold some. But mm-hmm. like how big of a thing did that become for you yeah. initially? So for me, like when I first bought like my virtual land for a couple hundred bucks, I was like, oh, let me just buy a few hundred dollars worth and see. You know, this is another investment to my crypto portfolio. And for me, it was a way to diversify myself. Little did I know that everything was connected to Bitcoin anyway, so it wasn't really diversification. But what I found was um, I could sell it for a profit. And then as I learned a lot about the market and what certain lands are worth and supply and demand and, uh, you know, the waves that people come in for and what they look for. And then I kind of realized that, wait a second, there's such a big opportunity here financially to buy in bulk and slowly sell to others that come into the space and really know, be like a, basically a virtual land trader or a dealer or whatever you want to call it. And so I kind of quit my job and did it full time for like two years. I was obsessed with it. I was, I had a spreadsheet and I was keeping track of every single person that was selling when they bought it. I was contacting people and negotiating with them. Sometime it would be a whole year long negotiation. It was crazy. I'd contact them and give them an offer uh, they would say no, and then six months later, they'd come back. And then after that, we'd have some back and forth. And I even had people that were representing the Chinese community and coming and giving me deals, and I'd give them a, a split if the deal went through. It was like a really big business, right? Because there was so much, because the industry was new, there, was, there wasn't that many people that were, I guess, providing liquidity in the sense of if someone wanted to exit, say, a $100,000 position, there wasn't someone with $100,000 that would say, okay, I'll buy it. So their best offer would say their best way to get rid of that would be to accept a thirty to forty thousand dollar offer for the whole thing. And for me, as well, giving that offer, it's important to not give them that hundred thousand dollars because you're taking such a huge risk. You don't even know if this thing's going to be here in the next two months. So it's a win-win scenario. And so I had I had faith in the long-term view of the project. So I'd buy it and then slowly sell it for a bit of a profit, and then compound that with the next purchase, and then the next purchase. And I did that for two years. And in that space the whole thing blew up. It was virtual land and art and all that. So that's how I kind of got involved. And because of that, the content was easy because I was in it. And although, I, you know, the markets were crashing and people were down 90%, a handful of us were making a ton of money just trading NFTs. We weren't putting more fiat in. We were actually compounding our, our crypto gains by just buying and selling them in Mana or Ethereum or whatever you, you call it. So... Because I was doing that, I was so involved and financially profitable. So I was just so deeply immersed, even though it was a bear market. And the content was just, that's why I guess I was just so energetic with the content. Because I was like, this is cool. Everything's going on. Um, and that's why, you know, I was blessed to just kind of have that that energy and that backup that the financial stuff was coming through. That now when it does come through, I have a bit of a standing with uh, the social media stuff. Yeah. So that's an incredible position to be in and yet to be making money in the bear market. If you're, you know, I think the saying goes, if you're able to make money in a bear market, you're going to just absolutely destroy it when it comes (laughs) comes to the uh, bull market. 
And ultimately, you know, a lot of the people who work hard look forward to the bear markets because that's really when, uh, that's where the money is made. Uh, it's, it's not, mm-hmm. you're collecting, I feel like, during the bull markets. But anyways, I'm sort of trying to understand the psychology at that point or sort of your standing. And so I think about that. I hear you quitting your job, you diving into digital land. I'm thinking like what your family situation is, but like were your friends and family like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, what, what are you doing with this? And also like, what percentage of your assets were now tied up in this digital land while you were doing this? Was this like a significant play or you were just more funding yourself with your with your savings and then had a nice like a nice amount just allocated to these digital assets? I'm wondering, like, were you trying to live off of that is maybe a way of, of maybe the way of saying it? I guess like I actually quit my job a good 10 years ago. I did uh, engineering at uni. And then I worked two years in the civil engineering, kind of as a graduate role, right? And then I quit my job, and that's like 10 years ago now. And so my parents were kind of used to me being off in my own, just exploring new things. And I did marketing and e-commerce for, for my own for six years. And it just so happened in 2017, I got married. And in you know I was like, okay, I'm married now. Like I need to take a job more seriously. I need more like stable income. I can't do this, you know high month revenue and then zero revenue months. That's how the business world was for me personally. So I got a job, but then, you know, I found crypto. So I kind of quit that job after like five or six months. But I quit. It made sense because like, I remember going to the, to the, um, I remember going to work in the morning and I remember seeing this really cheap land deal. And it was like, I think it was like $5,000 to buy this specific piece of land. And um, I was like, oh, man, this is this land right here. I'm 100% sure I can flip it for $10,000. But I wasn't home to kind of, you know, take advantage of that moment or that opportunity. And I remember thinking, I'm like, why am I going to work for like two to $300 for that day? And look what I just missed. Like, This is, you know, you need to be spending time in business. This is what business is for, to wait for these waves of opportunity and capitalize on them as much as possible. So that's when I, I pretty much quit the next day. Um, and went back to land trading full time. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it is actually incredible seeing some of the opportunities that show up. And if you start, you know, just tracking and watching and paying attention to some of these things, you're like, damn, that's a good deal. And then moments later, you're like, so like someone else picked up that, uh, that one at that time Mm -hmm. though, like you were saying, it was, uh, like, it it sounds like it was probably a more illiquid market at that moment. So you could, Mm -hmm. there was more to be gained because you're operating in this that's a good place to be if, and you're really betting on Decentraland succeeding. What sort of state, you know, I don't have a ton of experience in um, the metaverses. You know, I had on uh, someone, the founder of CryptoVoxels, of Sandbox. Nice. I was not able to, um, on my computer, get on Decentraland for whatever reason. It was, it was yeah. not functioning <laughs> properly. And I was just like, ah, screw it. Mm. But I know that it is one of the uh, canonical metaverses and seems to be one of the more interactive ones where I think they also support VR headsets from what I'm aware. But how advanced was it when you first joined or was it more of a land purchase thing exclusively? When I first joined, (laughs) there was pretty much, oh man, there was very little. I'll tell you that. I remember when I first joined, there was people basically messaging each other on Discord securing land deals and then trading over discord manually there was not even a con there was no smart contracts to handle land trades there was just people saying all right i'll do the deal for one land on this coordinate for a couple of thousand dollars and i had to, i if i was buying that i had to 
send that two to three thousand mana across and trust that he would manually send that land. Wow. <laughs> okay. So the first hundreds of land deals that I've done were that was actually through that sort of a system. Surprisingly, I never got scammed once. And I remember we had our own way to vet people. And every time someone would go through and follow through with the land deal, we would all just be go back to the general chat and be like, oh, so-and-so is trustable, um, right? And we'd form a community around those people that are trustable and those that are bringing in deals. And it was like this kind of community vetted process. And people were trying to sell their land on Reddit. And it was just like, it was just this is the opportunity, right? Because no one knows what the heck is going on. And when no one knows what's going on, and you know, and you, you, t- you take the time, full time to figure out what's going on, right? You figure out what's the early prices or what's the, the good lands. And, and because you're doing so much land trading, you know exactly what things are priced when others don't. That's where you can really scale ahead and really know way more than anyone else. And so when people are coming in and buying land for tens of thousands of dollars, you can get it cheaper because someone else that you sold it to you didn't see the value in that, but you did because you know the land market very well. So... That was a kind of scenario, and then like I was, I realized that none of us really knew because we all came from a crypto, from a very retail background. We still are, and and crypto investing for us was very short term, you know, low attention span investing where we invest in things and we expect them to be fully functional within six to one six months to a year, probably less. But decentralized for me was a was a realization that you know virtual worlds or games and all these sort of things take a long time to build out, especially on technology such as blockchain and um, with as ambitious as they are so when i got involved you know there really wasn't much i think it i think it took like six to eight months for there to even be a marketplace that was on smart contracts so people could trade land fairly and then OpenSea was also really really new i remember going to OpenSea and then them trying to figure out how to get some land trading stuff happening there and they were making like private deals being accessible and i was testing that so um, as this sort of technology kind of got um, more and more structurally strong. There was still there was still no virtual world to even explore. I, that came in 2020. So that came like three years after I I had invested. And so when that came out, that was really choppy and breaky, and everything was like you know breaking apart. And now it's a lot more. It's still very very laggy, and there's still so much more to do. And we need to move to our own client and uh, you know be more fluid and and work natively with social apps and have mobile friendly you know experiences there's still so much to do but seeing because i was so involved at the start and i continue to blog about it and i helped um, in my view keep it relevant and keep bringing attention in and help growing it i know that if i'm involved in certain projects like if i put the effort that i put in and i was very active with my role in decentraland as well like i never worked with them obviously but as a community member all the network that i would make i would say hey why don't you build in decentraland and i'd get them in touch with the team or i'd bring feedback from the community with the team and i'd get on calls with the founders and say you know what why don't we do this or why don't we do that and it, it came to a stage where like i was so heavily involved and i was bringing i was bringing eyeballs i was bringing doing competitions where like we'd get like you know 100 new artists to make 100 new art galleries and content and all this sort of things so yeah i think um it's good to see where it started and what it's come from and i think as long as i and others are involved and can push it and obviously they keep delivering and are well funded then i feel like in the next one or two years it's going to be a completely different product so are you involved with the company now no not at all okay i just want to be clear because you 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 said something as to like we need to keep um yeah yeah uh, building this so i guess you're just so deep feel, in it now <laughs> i feel so emotionally deeply connected to decentraland <laughs> which <laughs> I keep which, saying we well i mean it makes a ton of sense i can understand it 
as to, uh, I, I did the same with Facebook. It's completely different. It's not a virtual world, but I remember writing heavily about it and interacting with the company at that time. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious about is, okay, and I don't want to focus uh, entirely on on this beginning, but it is so important because it sets the foundation of some of the stuff that, and the way that you, um, the way that you were thinking about this. At that time, what was the hook that like, so what was the size of your first purchase? And was it the purchase that got you bought into this? Was it the team that was part of it? Because once you're making uh, $30,000 investments in land, was it the fact that just the Discord was so active and people were uh, making those sizable things, which gave you more validation of this market? Like, what was the, was it just a combination of all those different things that gave you comfort and trust that this was actually going to materialize? Like, what was that thing that got you over the hump? Yeah, got me into it. I think um, the start was just obviously just the idea and the VR world concept of it. And the Discord was popping and I was like, oh, you know, I'll give it a couple hundred dollars and see what happens. But then as you keep trading and you go more heavier and you realize that there's so much liquidity and, and every day, you know, you're checking up and you can see the sales history and there's like, you know, 30 to 50,000, sometimes $100,000 worth of land sales every day. And you're like, well, this is a lot of liquidity. It's actually a safer market to go go deeper with your bets. And, you you know, you do a $10,000 land purchase, you do a $30,000 land purchase, you do a $100,000 land purchase. And you realize that, you know, if there's certain waves and there's liquidity and there's, if, if liquidity is at X, then it's important. It's okay to go in deeper. I was very analytical in the sense of I'd always keep an eye on how much volume of sales history there was and if liquidity was drying up. And liquid by liquidity, I'm meaning if the number of people buying and selling and the whole the total volume of sales that are happening starts to dry up in NFT world, it's actually quite dangerous because you know if you have say a million dollars worth of NFTs, but there's only like ten thousand dollars worth of sales happening a week, technically that means that you have to wait four years, five years, or God knows how long to exit your whole position because you can only sell to that many people, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets you in a state where you can't sell your thing, uh, whatever assets you have. So if I have a $50,000 land position, I need to make sure that there's that much volume that if I need to, I can sell that. So liquidity for me was the most important thing. Every week I'd check and make sure that Decentraland had a sizable, you know, at least two to 400 Ethereum worth of volume. And as long as it kept that, I'd keep doing my activities. That makes a ton of sense. Would you say that the activity that you were doing at that point is more, was it really speculation and you were looking for short-term trades? Yeah, it would be trades, speculation. I was interested in the world coming out, but it just kept taking longer and longer, right? So we were just like, well, I have, for me, it was kind of important to reposition myself. Every time, so I started off with one land or two lands and then I was like, oh, well, I'll sell those and buy more land. Like, that makes total sense. If I can get a good deal and reposition myself to have four lands or five lands, uh, that makes sense. So then once I had five lands, I was like, let me sell these five lands. And maybe with that money I get, I can buy 10 lands. And I would see these opportunities because I know that someone was looking to sell. And I knew that someone was looking to buy. And I was like, wait a second, if I sell this to this guy, then I can go buy it from this guy at that price. And that's a better position because that's what I want to do in this area. So it's kind of like this for two years. And then it went from you know, 10 to 20 lands to hundreds and hundreds of lands. And so my portfolio grew and it's kind of like this bartering slash uh, trading to continue to continue to be like this land guy in Decentraland that had a bigger position. So in that sort of a thing, it made sense. But also because of that, a lot of fund liquidity came as well, right? Because I was selling land and I was like, oh, wait a second, it doesn't make sense to have 
this much skewed portfolio in virtual land. Let me take some money out and put in Ethereum and crypto and some art. And so that's where this whole thing came about. So it was, the nature of it was long-term investing at the start, but through trading, I realized I could better position myself time and time again. And why wouldn't you yes. when you could trade two lands for five? I would agree with that. It's always good to make a smart trade, especially if you're paying attention to the market as closely as it sounds like mm -hmm. you were. You almost have an obligation to be making those investments. That's why you're investing a lot of this time even to begin with. So when, at what point would you say, what was the tipping point where things spilled into the broader NFT ecosystem where you started taking uh, paying more attention? It looked like even through much of last year, you were still really focused on Decentraland. I'm sure um, you started making other investments, but what other NFT investments were you making and how soon were you making other ones outside of Decentraland? Um, I've always made investments outside of Decentraland. I just haven't gone heavy. When I go heavy into things, I'm usually really, really involved where I understand the game, I play the game, or like I understand the concept at least. So, you know, I invested a little bit into Axie Infinity. I invested a little bit into Gods Unchained. You know, I understood card games. I understood Pokemon and Battling. So some of these games kind of resonated with me. But then when the art world, I guess, came onto my radar a year ago, um, and before that, I had been watching it, and I kept remembering Super Rare consistently have, you know, 400, 500 Ethereum worth of volume every week. And for me, that's really important. Having consistent volume weekly is really important. Sometimes what you see on OpenSea is you'll see some project have some volume for maybe a couple of months, and then it'll die down, and then you'll be like, well, uh, okay, well, you know, that wouldn't have been a good idea to take a big position there. But if something consistently has volume for years, then that's a very strong industry. So with Super Rare and Known Origin and Maker's Place consistently had volume. And for me, I went from completely skeptical of the art market to, wait a second, there's something here that I need to learn. So that's when I got involved and purchased some art and then that blew up. And then I was like, holy crap, this thing is a whole beast of an industry. And it kind of made sense as well. I actually entered art not only just to explore it, to, but also I, I thought, wait a second, what if I buy some art, put it in some land that I own in, in Decentraland, host some conferences there and have activity going it makes sense because I've invested in the artist, right? It's a way to publicize the artist and, and double down and double the growth of my investment, compound the land that I'm on, the world that I'm in, the art that I've bought. It, it kind of made sense for me as an experiment. So that's what I started to look for. And then, then as I went down that art rabbit hole, I kind of got lost <laughs> and I went really deep and I was just like this art maniac for like six months. I just loved it. I loved the community. I loved meeting other collectors the networking that came behind it all, like all these collectors were coming in and we had our own, you know, WhatsApp groups and I was learning about how they made their money, what their structure was at, at, at a macro level in the crypto space. And, you know, that, that led me down a different path. And then, yeah, it all kind of ties back into DCL and virtual land and I guess this metaverse concept. But yeah, kind of at some point, it just made sense to kind of explore other niches as their volume started to kind of speak out to me. And that makes a ton of sense. So what were the uh, art areas that you've paid particular attention to? Uh, are there specific artists that you're interested in? Are you more interested in like individual artists versus collectibles? The places that you're mentioning are not collectible specific, but I'm curious what your take is on that. And so which area has drawn most of your attention and investment? I think art at the start for me, it was like this eye-opener. I was like, oh, this is an interesting way to invest. You're investing in the career of someone by investing in their early pieces. 
And that was, it's a very new concept to do that in crypto land because in crypto land, you know, there's a very hard supply cap and you know what you're investing in. If the demand increases, then because the supply is capped, technically your investment should increase in cryptocurrencies or NFTs. So with art, it was like, wait a second. So this is unlimited supply. So it, it kind of took some time to make sense in my mind. But when I resonated with certain artists like Ferocious, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I really like this artist and, and what he's doing and um, the style and the way he communicates with people on social media and the fact that you click on the website and you can see that this person is quite serious about art and all that. So I made some purchases and then that blew up. And then I was like, oh, wow, let me look deeper. And I found some more people that I liked the style of and their social media engagement. I think social media or just like communicating in a digital in a digital way or that skill of doing so is going to be so important moving forward just because digital native culture is going to be so strong. So I was looking for people that were on the forefront of that, playing around with art stuff, that obviously art was their career. And it was kind of that fun journey to do that. And then, yeah, I've, I've made my art investments so far and I've kind of left it at that. I'll continue to invest as I kind of invest in what I like. So I make sure if I really like an art piece or an art, an artist or something, then I'll go for it. And then, yeah, the collectibles thing is interesting. You know, it's, it's collectibles, I feel like is a completely new niche predominantly just because of the age or the, because of like the style of what a collectible project should be. It's kind of like, it becomes nostalgic and a collectible I guess, 10 years down the line, when you look back, and that's generally how the prices have increased, right? Uh, if you look at trading cards and all these sort of things. So their story becomes more important down the line. But because it's crypto and NFTs and social media involved, these kind of boom pretty much straight away as soon as they're launched. So it's very difficult to pick out what's going to be important. I feel like if you're a social media personality and you have a lot of influence, you can really push collectible projects to have a ton of volume and do really, really well. So, you know, I... I hesitate from doing that just because if it's a collectible project, longevity, I'm not too sure what's going to hold value. And I'm hesitant to kind of speak about collectible projects because I don't want to influence inorganically into something that I can't help grow in the future. Just collecting something and putting it as my profile pic. Maybe that is the way to make sure that it has longevity. But for me, like virtual land or game items in a game that's going to have millions of user base, that sort of makes sense. But yeah, collectibles. In certain games that I resonate with, I think collectibles makes a lot of sense. Like if Pokemon came out with collectibles, like I'd be all up for that because I understand that IP. But I guess what's happening now is completely new personalities and brands and IPs that really don't have much of a backing are releasing them. And maybe that's special. Maybe that's a special time. Maybe those collectibles will be worth something. But if, you know, Pokemon or Digimon, I'm not into Digimon, but if Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z or something comes up and I'm, I'll be all over that. <laughs> That, that is a good point, and I, I think a lot of people are waiting for Pokemon to have their equivalent, and I think there's a lot of Please, other... Uh, dying for it. <laughs> I think there's a lot of other... My whole NFT career has is basically in preparation for that moment. Leading up for this, and then you can be there at the drop, ready to sweep it up. It is interesting, some of the other collectibles that are in this space, obviously the one that's been popular lately that I have a couple of is the Bored Ape one, but I think that there's... yeah, it's I actually do like what Bored Apes is doing. I mean, it's being pumped like crazy on social media. Yes. And that part of it, I, it's very difficult for me to figure out if that will continue. Because I think a project can aggressively develop. Um, like, for example, if Board Ape comes out with a bang and does really well and does a 10x, that's great. But if the community is also going on to buy sandbox land and build integrations here and there and really support what that community is and integrate those NFTs, 
that's epic. Of course, yes. that totally might mean that you know this project can have longevity, even though it wasn't like one of the first. It doesn't matter because there's a strong community that love the project and they go on to build that across the metaverse or across different integrations. That's what I'm talking about. That I think you know collectability merged with utility and a, and a sense of expanding on the community um, experience can totally have value. I think. It's a really weird skill set because what you're monitoring there is the community and the behavior of the community and making an assessment of the type of people operating in the Discord, what they're discussing, mm. what they're trying to do. It's interesting because you can actually be like, hey, are all the people in here just speculators? Because if it's a bunch of speculators, then that's not actually an interesting community. It's all of us discussing mm. our money go up. But if people are on there <laughs> actually like embracing the identity of this character and they're like a creative person is my investment in that collectible also partially an investment in that person? You know, I saw there was this uh, YouTube dancer who posted their new Board Ape merch that was on. And this guy is an incredible dancer. And I'm saying, man, wear that shirt every day, please, on all of your YouTube videos. Because, wow, like you, you have like I'd invest in you. And that per it, it was so mm. interesting to see that because like that guy, you know, I haven't seen any wildly successful dance NFTs. But if that mm -hmm. did exist, you know, maybe I could invest in that guy via this collectible. And it's a way of, you know, mm -hmm. taking the mm -hmm. collective value of like betting on this pool of people in there of whether or not mm -hmm. I believe that these people are going to do something with it. And you're also, CryptoPunks is a different one where you're like, hey, if these are a bunch of, well, not everyone was rich there to begin with. So that's not a good assessment. But I think there will be communities where you know, people are really wealthy and it's like this very elite asset to have right now. CryptoPunks have become that to a certain degree. And so I think that breeds its own type of community. So you're saying like, hey, what's that style of the community that's in there? The problem is, is there's a lot of people that are seeing it right now. And we're so early that people have like FOMO of the fact that they missed out. And so like there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of competing forces because social media is a very noisy place. And yeah. Yeah, the odds of something getting drowned out uh, in the short term is very high. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, what happens is, I guess, opportunity continues to move, right? Yep. Bitcoin goes from you know twenty to fifty thousand dollars, and suddenly it's not an attractive investment for eighty percent of people into crypto anymore. It's like, oh, well, it doesn't. It's not doing the ten x's that people want. Mm -hmm. So when that sort of a mindset kicks in, they go in for something else, and that's why you have this whole ecosystem that goes up because people jump around from coin to coin, mm -hmm. and the NFTs place is definitely going to be the same. I mean, how is it to go from a floor of $50,000 per crypto pump to $100,000? It's very difficult. You've got to bring in tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars worth of liquidity to you know, push the prices up that much. What's easier is to go jump onto another new collectible project that just suddenly sold for 0 0.08 Ethereum and maybe get that to one Ethereum. Yeah. So, you know, it's and then now when Board Apes goes to an extent where it's quite difficult to do that, what's, what's going to happen after that? So, you know, we've been actually in this collectible loop of dropping projects and moving on to the next thing for a very long time, since 2018. I am in full support of any community that is looking to break out of that cycle and bring longevity to it in any way. When there's more culture and community involved behind it, like that's, I love that thing. Yeah, it's hard to call that at the beginning, you know, of a collective mm. of people. But if, if there is a skill set that exists that is able to analyze a community, this is the place to implement that skill set. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what is the 
today, well, actually, you mentioned the artist. I have one follow-on question about that. It sounds like you're in it for the long haul for, so DCL, you started, or sorry, Decentraland, you started off buying and flipping. But with artists, it sounds like you're taking a completely different approach where you're saying, hey, I'm actually going to buy into your career, essentially, and this is a long-term investment. Is that a correct read on it? Yeah. Yeah, so you're not selling any of the stuff like if you bought Fawocious, you're not exiting that right now. I did before, and I regret it so much. And because of that, I've become a long-term <laughs> holder with art. My, the, the trading mindset kind of killed me a bit in the art space. Because in, in, in the um, land world, you buy, you sell, and you rebuy, and you sell, and you rebuy. When you negotiate, you resell. But in the art world, what it took me a, a while to figure out was when you have single edition piece, pieces or unique pieces from a really good artist, and you sell them, oh, it's very difficult to buy it back at a cheaper price. People don't, people don't budge. People don't negotiate with their art. They love their art, especially from select artists, and they're not going to budge from that so my single editions i actually bought four editions four unique pieces from ferocious one of ones for like a couple of thousand dollars each which were like a complete bargain back then but i sold two that hurt me so much <laughs> i regretted so much i sold one for like 35k and another one for a hundred thousand dollars which is a lot of money yeah but yeah I, I just as soon as i sold them i felt so much regret because i was like man i actually really truly love these pieces and that's why to me it hit me that I realized why art has such a high value of some of these art because people that have bought certain pieces have such a strong connection that they'd probably never let it go. That's the thing that's crazy about it. I was discussing it with the board ape with uh, my fiance. I was like, look, um, I don't know what price I'd sell this thing at just because I think it's cool. <laughs> like I bought it for $400 and now I'm like, all right, like what, 50,000? Like, is that the right, like, is that, is that the right <laughs> price? And that's crazy, right? Like if, it, if, if an opportunity to sell it for, well, the opportunity kind of has existed to sell it for like nearly 10,000. And it's like, crazy. that that's crazy. Like, that's a great return. What are you doing? Like, you should just sell it. And I probably should. I look at it and I think, and it, when you're in a pool of 10,000, maybe it may be the smart move to take some cash out. But it's difficult because I don't, I, don't I don't have a ton of pieces and I like the ones that I buy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Man, I like that piece. You know, well, I'll go down with the ship. Let's see. Let's see what happens with artists. I think I, I like your approach. Last question is: What are you looking towards now? Like, over, what are you thinking towards the next six, twelve months? I know, man, the past three months have been absolutely crazy. Uh, we've gone through a volatile market on many different fronts. The art market went through boom bust. I guess you can call it bust uh, right now. It's it's way slower, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think it's like imploded or like gone. It's just, no, no. It's just not chaotic, craziness, mm -hmm. irrational stuff. What are you thinking? Like, what are you excited about over the coming uh, months and year? Mm -hmm. I'm just excited to just be part of the industry. I don't think anyone can kind of predict where it's going to go. I would never have predicted the art market to grow so big. It would completely eclipse everything NFT related. Like if you, some of these NFT tweets have like 100,000 plus engagement on Twitter, which is insane. Um, you know, it made it to Ellen DeGeneres. It made it to like, you know, all these news channels. Everyone was talking about art. I had no one could have predicted it to go that big. I don't think. I'm excited to just watch it mature, and I think the gaming industry will start to turn online just because it's been a good two to three years since some of these games have been in development, and it does take time for a game to mature enough to come out with a beta and then an alpha and all that sort of stuff. 
And I feel like, uh, you know, NFTs, one of the strongest players for NFTs are in blockchain gaming as skins, you know, as game items, etc. I'm excited for some of these projects to really grow in their user bases. For example, watching Axie and Infinity go from, you know, 5,000 daily active users to now over 120,000 daily active users. Um, starting to penetrate Korea, all, you know, and, and countries and provide them an income. And there's just like, it's completely blowing up. And starting to watch the art market mature. There's always this phase I realize in the art market where it's kind of like this massive growth uh, phase, and then there's like three to four months of you know quietening down a bit, and then the early that that art starts to become special, and then people jump back on. But people are also quite, I guess, it's easier for people to spend money when they're crypto rich or when the markets are more green. So. If crypto goes back up to like 40, 50, 60, maybe $100,000 Bitcoin, you'll see a lot more activity across everything NFT related. And that's when, that's specifically when these early art pieces become extremely valuable because people have a lot of spending power and they look back at what's valuable and why, and then they go back to the origin. And that's what happened with CryptoPunks. Uh, that's what happened with a lot of these other projects. So when you're accumulating art, at least what I've learned or ex- experienced in my investing career is, you're putting a bet on this this time of you investing that this time is going to be special two or three years from now, right? This era or whatever's happening here is going to be, you know, a there's going to be something special about this period. And so I'm waiting for the industry to mature and then then, then gaming items to come out, countries to accept Bitcoin, and then the whole, the whole sphere of crypto and blockchain to be completely different that the era of 2021 or what happened there would become like this special thing that existed before that boom. And that's suddenly when all this stuff will become valuable. I completely agree. And it's really exciting to watch. I think it's also what this early first half of 2021 is, is really validation to a lot of those other businesses that are not in the crypto space. You're mentioning Axie Infinity. They started in, in you know, with crypto. I think that there's mm-hmm. the people who didn't they're looking at this space saying, I'm going to jump in. And that's what, you know, I think is going to happen over the next year or two and it becomes everything gets involved in um in, in a lot of these different things and it's way more accessible as you mentioned early on in the show we're still using metamask and like the same version of metamask to a certain to a large degree <laughs> to make some of these purchases mm. which is absolutely bonkers but totally. yeah it, it's going to be exciting and th- this year in particular is going to be awesome to reflect on so i really appreciate uh, you taking the time to come on today really awesome to have you on the show and uh you are an icon in the space so it's exciting to get you on here thank you nick i do appreciate being here and just talking nft this is like my favorite topic to spend hours talking about so yeah (laughs) pleasure being here awesome for people who don't know it's a dcl blogger is that the best way i think on twitter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay cool all right well i appreciate it man no worries nick take care That's it for this episode of the Nifty Nick podcast. And if you made it this far, make sure to subscribe at thenifty.com. Thanks again.